Uh, the reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's verses 1 to 23. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Sorry, there am I. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by the fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And I'll just pray for Charlie before he comes to speak to us. Father God, thank you for the time that Charlie has spent this week preparing um, words to give to us. Lord, I pray that um, you know the thoughts of the wise and that they're futile, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And Lord, let Charlie's words be of you and the wisdom be of you and not of um, human nature. Amen. Thanks, Han. One of the things that we have been learning in 1 Corinthians as we're going through these early chapters of the book is that Paul is writing to a church who have gone slightly astray. They've allowed their eyes to be fluttered away from the cross. The good news for humanity is the crucified Jesus, Son of God, for the world, in order for us to come back into relationship with God. And these people knew that. They'd understood that. Paul had come to them and told them that without words of wisdom, without beautiful speech, but with the power of the simple message. Does your heart light up when you hear the gospel message? 
Some in the great city of Corinth, their heart was illuminated as Paul spoke the gospel message to a few people. And the church grew, and it grew, and it grew. But the issue with this church is that they very quickly became divided. They very quickly used the worldly wisdom, mixed it with Christian wisdom, and they came out divided. They were following people who fitted in with what they wanted. They had different leaders from different points in history, Paul and Apollos and Peter, themselves even. The worldly wisdom of, I can get the greatest mind in the world if I just try so hard. They started to follow different styles, different teaching. People who were good under God, but they would use those people as their leaders. In chapter 3, Paul comes into a whole section on what Christian leadership needs to look like. And that's where we are today. One of, one of the major themes running through Corinth is in the background speaking against these divisions. This is the first thing he said to them. Stop being divided. Get your eyes back on Jesus. And you have different styles. You have different desires. You have different loves but we all have the same Christ. There's a readiness to put the spotlight on individual leaders and say, you know what, I I'm following him. You know what, I I'm going to follow that way. I'm going to be of this denomination or that denomination. This is my kind of style. What do I get out of church? I need to go to that person's church. That's what they were doing. And so Paul highlights it in a new way in chapter 3 and goes on to continue in chapter 4. But I want to skip ahead into the middle of our reading. Verse 16, if you've got it open in front of you, follow with me. Verse 16, Paul says, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Corinthians, don't you, don't you remember don't you know this eternal fact of the church that God himself, the Holy Spirit, lives in the church? In chapter 2, you'll remember last week, if you didn't see it, it's on the website. We spoke about Paul's dedication to the ministry of the Spirit being central to his teaching. Paul's saying that the Spirit uses people, uses vessels to bring us to the power of the cross. The extraordinary transformation that comes with Jesus, the Holy Spirit calls you. That's the only calling that Christians really have. It's a calling home to our Savior hanging on a cross and rising to new life with him. But this is what the Holy Spirit's done. He's sent out from the cross to live in the church. Later on, we'll see that Paul doesn't just talk about it as the church. He talks about it as individuals as well. Both individually God dwells in you and he also dwells in the communal. The Holy Spirit is in us, which means we are his home. Well, where's Jesus now? Where's Jesus on earth? You'll hear, you'll hear people who don't have Christian faith. Well, if Jesus came right now, I'd, I'd believe. But the reality is Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And the Holy Spirit is here now in power in the church. God is here. You just need to look at the church. In all of our messiness, in all of our disaster in the church that we, we do have, you can see 
the fulfillment of human hearts. You can see the relationship with God, even though I'm not very good at it, and I get to stand at the front. We can see God at work in the world. He takes us back to the good news. God fills his people, he makes his temple, and he calls it holy. He calls us holy. Remember that from chapter one? We looked at that quite a bit. We are saints, holy. We're a church, a called out group of people out of the world. That's what that word church means. And if anything gets in the way of that, our passage says if anything gets in the way of that, verse 17, if anything destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Do you see, you don't mess with God. And therefore, you don't mess with his people. There is a serious thing for us to look at. There is a destruction for those who are going to mess with the church. Because if you mess with God's church, you mess with his house, you mess with his people. The spirit-filled building. Remember. Remember that as we go forward. You see, Paul adds all of this because... It gets in the way. Paul adds all of this because our behavior in the church was the thing that was actually destroying the church. If we divide, we destroy the unity around Christ. If we focus on something that isn't Jesus, we destroy our unity and therefore the judgment can look on us. He needs them to seriously remember, do you not know? Yes, you do, Corinthians. Let's sort this out. He comes to them, and he says, you are, get this, childlike. Do you see how children behave? Sometimes it's really cute. Sometimes it's a little bit dangerous. Be careful, as. But the reality is, Paul comes to them and says, I had to give you milk. When I came to you, I gave you milk to build you up. That's what happens with babies. If you've ever seen a newborn or you've seen a nursing mother, we have newborn babies drinking milk, but they have this extraordinary ability. Newborns have this extraordinary ability to be able to tell you they need food. They start to cry. They scream even. They scream and scream and scream until they get what they want, but they don't just scream. They have this thing about them where they start to swallow because she must have come to me now and fed me. Dad must have got the bottle now and fed me. I can't believe it's taken this long. He just starts to... There's no milk there yet. You see, in the, in, the, in the infancy of the church, we have a hunger. And God does feed us. We have a hunger in the excitement for, for fresh milk. We want to grow. But sometimes when we get older, my son refuses food. We know he needs to eat. But he's like, I don't care. I want to go watch Paw Patrol. And so he refuses to eat. And sometimes in our Christian faith, we can grow up a little bit and remember we like to do other things other than feed on God. So we can stay as toddlers. We can stay as adolescents. We can stay as 20s and 30s and 40s. Or we can go, let's go, God. How far are you going to grow us? Let no one deceive himself. Paul starts our passage with, I didn't, couldn't address you as spiritual people, 
but I had to address you as people who were earthly, people who were worldly, people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, four years on, he's writing this letter, even now you haven't grown up enough, Corinth, for you're still of the flesh. Our challenge for us is do we want to grow up from infancy? You know, Kay in her open eye slot was talking about this. There's little challenges from God, little moments in our lives where he pushes us, nudges us and says, come on. It doesn't matter how old I am physically on the outside. He goes, come on, Charlie, you can take the next step to grow up and I will give you the strength to do that. But it does take dedication. It does take time. And a year reading the whole Bible that Kay's gone through will have grown her through the power of the Spirit in an amazing way. It does. When we come back to the cross, we come to know who he is. I know I'm flitting around a bit, but follow me here. Verse 18, Paul says, don't deceive yourself. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. You know, people look at the church and they go, they're just fools. They don't know what they're on about. They've got blind faith, whereas I've got science. We know that science and faith go perfectly together, but they don't want that. This whole Jesus thing, he's a dead teacher 2,000 years ago. Don't go there. To the world, we look like fools. But if we start to try and follow worldly ways, if we start to push into the way that the world wants to live, we will actually be the fools in eternity. We will be young in faith. We have to become fools again, look at the cross, and grow up on the whole new track. You remember that from last week. Do you find that when you're needing to make decisions in life, we have two options. You can use the worldly wisdom that you got from parents and school and work, from books and from encyclopedias, or you can go to Jesus. In his Bible, there are two choices. We know that worldly wisdom is not completely void. There is goodness there because God created the world, but we have to weigh it with the wisdom of the Lord. The Bible's wisdom seems quite basic. How do you invest your money? How do you invest your money? Here's a question for us that we're going to have to do in life. How do you use your money? How do you spend your money? Well, give 10% away. The world looks at that and goes, what? That doesn't make sense. You can't buy the car you want. You can't, you can't live in the house you want. You can't redecorate when you want to necessarily because you've given 5%, 10%, 20%, 50%. Who, who knows what the Lord's going to put on your heart, but, but give away. Your accountant's going to flip. The way of Jesus is foolishness to the world. Well, how are we going to educate our children? Send them to local schools so that the family's rooted in the community, making relationships so you can be light to the world locally. What? what if the Ofsted rating isn't excellent? We better move. What, what if it's only just good? This school is a good school. That's not impressive. Foolishness, says the world, to think, no, you know what? I live here, and there are people here, and I'm called to be Christ here. 
Well, Cambridge might be put off your child because of that. World calls you foolish. Well, friends, we need a bigger, a bigger garden. We need bigger space to live. So let's move to the place where we can find a perfect house within our budget as opposed to finding the best church for our relationship and our family and then finding the house that works for that church. No estate agent ever has helped anyone find a house dependent on what churches are nearby. They're going to look at you and think you're absolutely ridiculous. But you see, with a budget that's less because you're givers, with not really worrying about the educational value of your children and knowing that God will put you in the right place, with not really thinking about the best house you can afford for your purposes, but the best house that God has for you with your discipleship in church, do you see how it's upside down with Jesus? The decisions we make are always affected by the gospel, and we have to grow up into that. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. It's a challenge, and it challenges me as I read this. Making decisions looks foolish if we do it with Jesus, but it's, it's easy to, to just forget about it. It's not about your salvation, friends. You can be saved and not give 10%. You can be saved and, and send your kids to a great school. You can be saved and, and get a nice house and a nice place and not find a great church. It's not about salvation now. This is about maturity. It's where the rubber hits the road in the life with Jesus. It's really hard. But the promise is the Spirit is the one. The Spirit enlightens us. The Spirit gives us strength. The Spirit moves us on. You see, you're not spiritual people, Paul says. I need to give you milk. The upside-down reality of wisdom and foolishness, you're struggling with it. So you're focusing on the worldly stuff and going, oh, I follow Paul, he's the best church leader for me. How do we make decisions? And it might be that it's not obvious the decisions you're making were following Christ. I'm not here to judge your decisions. But with the Lord in your heart, we need to go back to him. It's upside down. It's always upside down. Verse 4, Paul says, when someone says in your church, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You need the basics. Rich, most nourishing milk. 18 months Paul stayed there, giving them fresh milk. Barrett once said that, a lapse of time does not bring Christian maturity. You can't sit in a dusty pew and just grow old with Jesus. You will just grow young. This is about dedication to more. Paul still calls them his brothers and sisters in Christ, but with a massive challenge. They're enriched, they're saved, they've got spiritual gifts, but they're not growing in spiritual direction. They're not growing in the power of the Spirit. They're not growing in spiritual unity. They'd forced to be focused on what they had by the grace of God, and they started running before they could walk. They went too quick. They weren't focusing on the Lord. In James, the Lord says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. They hated each other. 
I don't like the way you do church. I don't like the way you do faith. I'm jealous of what you've got. I want what that church has down the road. I want, I want more people here, more money, and enough to fix the roof. But the reality is that's not what we're called to be. Jesus, what do you want for our church? Jesus, where are you taking us in our maturity? Jesus, what does St. Andrews need to look like for your people in this place in 2021 and beyond? Build us in maturity, Lord. I want us to look a little bit at Christian leadership. Because I think this is one of the biggest issues we have in the church today, is that we've adopted a worldly view of leaders and plonked them onto the Christian leaders. And you can know from what, reading any newspapers, most years, you'll see another big Christian leader falling to sin, finally found out. The newspapers go wild, as they do in the world. If a politician messes up, they get front news. If a church leader messes up, they get front news. You see, our leadership in the church has to be completely different, and it has to work from the ground. The world looks at the highest person, the best celebrity, and gives them glory. The lower down the rank, we don't spend much time thinking about them. We talk a lot about the CEO of Amazon, but we don't really think about the delivery driver of the Amazon. His leadership is the one we look at. He's the one we talk about. And as you go down the rank, we, we don't really think about them. Our minds go to football managers before it's going to the guy who pumps up the ball. That's the way the world works. And for good reasons. They are the leaders, aren't they? They make the decisions. They, they have the power. And so we hold them to higher account. But Paul wants the church to stop thinking of its leaders in that way. Do you remember last week we spoke about the Holy Spirit uses vessels. He uses people to minister to one another. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? He doesn't even say who's Apollos, who's Paul. He dehumanizes them. He says, what are they? They were a vessel for the Lord, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Leaders in the church are not where the buck stops but it's where the food is delivered. And it's not just the guy who stands on stage or wear a dog's collar or, or, or wears a pointy hat or, or any sort of obvious leadership. Leadership in the church comes at any moment as the Lord discerns. He gifts people for vesselship and the Holy Spirit uses those people for a time, a minute, a day, a month, a year, decades to lead as God leads. Servants. That word servants is deacon, diakonos, and it essentially means they would have used it for a table waiter. When the, when the waiter in a restaurant, if only we could go, a, a waiter in a restaurant comes to your table, you don't go, mate, this food is amazing, thank you. You might. But who you're really thanking is the chef. The waiter's job is to bring it to you. And they can be an amazing waiter that you might tip. Or they could be a horrible waiter who just slams it on the table and gives it to you. But remember, if that waiter is serving, the food still tastes the same. 
If the leader of your food bringing it to the table is an excellent leader or a bad leader and the food stays the same, it's still a tasty meal. You see, our leaders are servants. Apollos was a servant, and he uses an amazing farming analogy for this. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. Both activities are vital for you to grow, but neither of those things grow you. If you just water the ground with nothing planting, nothing happens. If you just plant and don't water it, nothing happens. But the growth was not done by Paul. I cannot grow you as a Christian. God grows you, he grows me, and he uses you and he uses me to do jobs that enable that in the power of his spirit, but he grows us. God is the most important person in the farming community. They're nothing if he doesn't give a crop. These people are servants of God. Verse 7, so neither he who plants, neither he who waters is anything. When you talk about me as your church leader, do you say, oh, Charlie, he's nothing. It's Jesus. You see, at the most basic level, that's what Paul is saying. Now, we do need to honor leaders. We do need to raise them up, but we don't put them on a pedestal as Jesus we are nothing. We are just tools. Planters, waterers. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Can you see those three words there? Fellow workers, field, and building. Just note, God's fellow workers doesn't mean that they're fellow workers with God. What Paul's saying is that they belong to God and they are fellow workers. Do you see that? They're fellow workers together, Paul and Apostle, who belong to God, as the people are the field who belong to God, and the people are a building who belong to God. God, 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 workers, field, building. There are only two levels. God is top. Everyone else is underneath. Different roles. Different things to do, but we are one, verse 8. We've got a bit of an issue in the church because we love the celebrity culture. We love the great speakers, the ones who do it for us. But Jesus said it in, in Luke, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves, for it's greater for who is greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It's not the one who reclines, but I am among you as the one who serves, Luke 22. Jesus came as the greatest leader of all to serve. And normally the servant is the lowest, but Jesus is saying, no, it is the one who serves who's the highest, Jesus himself. And we serve in his wake. If this is the proper way round, the proper way to understand ministry, it's the same as how we live our lives upside down. People look at Christian leaders and go, I've never heard of him. Good. I've never heard of her. Good. Have you heard of the people that they've invested in? 
Have you seen how great the church is? Who is the vicar of that church? It doesn't matter. Everybody is growing together. And if we get a celebrity status, we end up in trouble. Just as we finish, I want to mention Ravi Zacharias. Um, You may have heard of him before. One of the greatest apologists over the last century. Um, He died last year of of a really um, aggressive cancer. And it's come out since he died that he wasn't just the greatest apologist that everybody looked up to, a humble, loving, gentle speaker. But he was also an incredibly deceptive sexual predator to put it frankly. It's come out that Ravi Zacharias has been somebody that between the lines of great godliness has had a deep, dark life of abuse. He has been harassing people, sexting, texting, one allegation of rape. And this person was one of the greatest celebrities in the Christian world. The whole of America thought he was excellent. Much of Europe thought he was excellent. If you wanted to learn about apologetics, go to Ravi Zacharias Ministries. The reality is, this man had a secret. And that secret could not be told. Now, I don't know why, and God is his judge. But can I just suggest that if somebody's put on such a high pedestal as a leader in the church that they're going to lose their money, their job, their house if people don't think they're a good leader anymore. So the minute I'm stuck in sin, if I think you're going to fire me for not being perfect, how much harder is it for me to tell you? It's for us as the church not to put people on such a pedestal so that we can be brave enough to go, you know what, I'm really struggling like you do. You might come to me for help, but I need to come to you for help. So do all the leaders in our church. And again, I don't know about Ravi's issues. It might have been that 30 years ago when he had that first thought and was really struggling, he couldn't go anywhere because it was too scary to let everyone down. And so it just got taken off by the devil and became a horrendous situation. It might be that. I'm not gonna claim it as that. It might be that he has always had this plan. But under the grace of God, even the worst of gospel evangelists are vessels for people to know about Jesus. God is his judge. And we get lots of ministers like that. Loads of ministers who struggle and lie. I wonder if that's because the way we look at leadership is one of the world. They have to be the best. And if they're not the best, they have to be dropped and we have to get someone else in. That's not the way of Christ. Christ is the only perfection we have. Christ is the only one without sin. The rest of us are struggling. We are being grown by God, planted and watered. Verse 21, as we end, so let no one boast in humans. Let no one boast in men. Never say this leader was right. Never say this leader was the right one for me to follow. Do not say that I am, I am the person you come to church for. It's Jesus. It's Jesus we boast in. For all things, Paul says, are yours. 
whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or in the present or in the future, all are yours and Christ's. You are Christ's. I want you to go away with this. What you boast in. The upside down lives we have to live is the same with Christian leadership. We are the temple of the Lord. We can stay young, but we're called to mature. In the Holy Spirit, using vessels to do that. He will use you to do it to others, and he will use people to do it to you, to grow each other, and he brings the growth. And so we boast in nobody but him. Everyone is struggling. Sin and salvation. Darkness and light. And our more mature brothers and sisters will help us on our way. But it is Christ himself who brings the power. Because he's given us everything. Do you hear that? Even these awful Corinthians, if they've come to know God, they, they own everything. Because there's nothing under them. Death is not the end anymore. Judgment has been taken. Everything is yours, even the greatest of preachers, Paul. Even the most amazing of ministers, Apollos. Even maybe third in line, Charlie. All are yours. We have everything because we are heirs of the good news of the promise. We are Christ's and Christ is God's. And so let's deeply look at the upside down way that God ministers to his church. Let's fight against the worldly ways of leadership. Let's repent for when we get it wrong and lift each other up when we get it right. And we will see extraordinary growth in our own lives and in the salvation of many in this world. Let's pray. Focus on the cross. That is the power of our maturity, Lord. We are a holy temple by the grace of God. No reason other than love. There's no reason we get saved other than his grace. He's chosen us and he's chosen many more and we will see them come to know him. And some of us may be watching online. Some of us in the room might go, you know what, what is there's something, there's something that smells glorious here. The gloriousness of a humble life in Christ, raising him up as opposed to any leader, anybody else, and him being the one we boast in. Lord, we ask for more of that. Fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. And as we live upside down lives looking like fools, we will become wise in the one whom we boast in. Build us, Lord. <laughs>